How you going, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Fair Dinka Podcast. This week's episode, we had Brother Joshkin on, the founder of Sadaka Welfare Fund. So we spoke a lot about, firstly, how his journey started from become from being a builder to becoming a full-time person on the ground, giving Sadaka all around the world to countries like Syria, Turkey, Afghanistan, many other countries dealing with certain issues and all the donations that he's helping getting from Australia and also around the world. And he also got into details about his stories and a lot of experiences had so this episode is jam-packed and you start to see about how ten dollars or fifteen dollars of donations can go a long way in helping these families that are in need and yeah you guys will certainly enjoy this episode so let's get into it let's start turkey and sure. the situation that's happening in what do you call it turkey at the moment do you think it's getting um the i guess the media attention it sort of deserves because I know uh, I'll, I'll preface this because I know when it first happened it got a lot of media attention and th- that's when the do- death toll was around that like 5,000 3,000 yeah look it's like anything um, everything has its space in media outlet and so what that means is they'll give it some focus when it's hot mm-hmm. and then there's always a new agenda so ideally um, when it's hot <coughs> then they want to the channels themselves want to get people watching their channel so they want to give it that coverage mm-hmm. but as soon as it sort of fades out and they can see the numbers dropping off and you know that search and rescue finishes in that sort of 10th day that's yeah. it there's no more media coverage they go to in that rebuilding phase and just go from there yeah that's it i mean look the realistically um and this is something we should talk about on the podcast you know yeah. this is a marathon this is not a hundred meter sprint yeah. and and this is the way we've got to start looking at charity and and this is you know something that i'm i'm conditioning people in the khutbas and tarawis and so on when i'm talking is that as muslims we actually need to realize that we need to be giving all year round not just in ramadan um, because the calamities since last ramadan have not stopped mm-hmm. I've, we've been full emergency mode we have actually haven't come out of it mm-hmm. So, you know, um, Gaza got attacked on Eid. Like, these are things we can speak about, inshallah. Yeah. Um, and then Pakistan floods, Rohingya fires, um, the drought in, in um, Somalia, Ethiopia, the floods in Sudan. You know, like, a lot of things have just happened back to back, you know. Um, and, and, yeah, we're just constantly chasing our tail, trying to band-aid um, the, the needs of the Ummah. So yeah, I mean it's uh, it's this is why I think you know um, we can't be conditioned what by the media is actually telling us. We actually need to be um, uh, a little bit more um, resilient in terms of understanding that if Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is telling us, you know that zakat is one of our pillars, we need to be giving in charity mm-hmm. and is putting zakat and salat together in the ayats of the Quran over twenty times in the mm-hmm. same verses. You know this is important factors that we've got to look at and say you know. Um, Whenever I've got money, or even if I've got money, and even if I don't have money, I should be giving in something. And, yeah. and that way, I'm constantly empowering. And no one has ever lost in giving in charity. Yeah, facts, yeah. You know? So, I don't know, we'll save some of it for the podcast, if you like. Yeah, oh, sorry, uh, I should have prefaced. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we low-key started. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I, so, I'm I, only I sh- giving you a brief. I'm I, not actually giving you the thing. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Just, anyway, khair, inshallah. You know, you know why? Because um, I should have prefaced this earlier on. Usually when there's like a whole intro and everything, everything mm. becomes too like formal. Yeah. 
So we just go in it just very casually, okay. and then right. it's almost as if the podcast had never started. Type okay. of thing, but it started. If that makes okay, sense. you got me. Don't <laughs> and then at the and the I'll have my Turkish coffee now, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so alhamdulillah, looks. So I guess if we want to elaborate on that, yeah, I mean, sure. let let's be realistic. Um, sure, you know the, the the whole thing with the Turkish Syria um, mm-hmm. thing. Look, I think it was actually a wake up call. Um, Thirteen and a half million people were actually affected. Um, and this should have sent alarm bells across the whole Muslim ummah that, you know, you can't be complacent um, because this could actually happen to anyone at any time. And the reason why I say this is for Syrians who have had 11 years of conflict, they've come to Turkey, they were guests in the country, but after 11 years of being in that country, they've now had some semi-establishment. They opened up businesses, tijare, the kids started going to school, and the Turkish government had a you know an integration policy. So after the coup, they started bringing the Syrians and the Turkish kids to the same classroom. So Turkish, Arabic, together, you know, being one community, and that was their goal. So they didn't feel like they were segregated living in in Turkey. They were part of the community. So alhamdulillah, they bought houses, they rented houses, and it's not to say that you know. Everyone was on that same level. Obviously, there's a lot of struggling Syrians still living in Turkey. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the registered numbers are quoted at, at three to three and a half million. Mm-hmm. I personally think it's way more than that. But, you know, Turkey's announced that that's the particular numbers. But when you look at it from a Turkish perspective, people born, grown, raised, their whole family lineage, mm-hmm. their tijare, their business, their wealth. And these are thousands of years of cities, you know. Uh, many prophets, of, you know, of uh, peace be upon them, have come and gone from these particular areas. Mm-hmm. So these cities, there are wealth. There is a lot of wealth in these areas too. So for them, you know, it was a change of circumstance from being a wealthy person going to bed at night yeah. and then waking up in the morning and being on par with the Syrians mm-hmm. And living side by side in a tent. Yeah. So when you look at that, it, it is a wake up call for us. You know yeah. that meaning that as a as a Muslim ummah, that you know we shouldn't be complacent. Doesn't matter if you live in a Western country, where wherever you live in the world, that yeah. calamity can befall you. Yeah. And, and your circumstance can change. And I think, look, this is a this is a big wake up call for us. And and for me, you know, I always look at it. And you know, when we talk in the khutbah and the tarawih, and I say, look, Alhamdulillah, Subhanahu Allah has blessed us. He's blessed us to be in a masjid where we know the masjid is not going to be attacked when we're worshipping in here. Uh, we have clothes on our back, we have a roof over our head, we have food on the table for iftar and sahur. We are the actual wealthiest people in the dunya. Yeah. You know? But if that is taken away from you, then you will be in a situation like them where you'll be looking at the door and saying, where is the Muslim Ummah? Why aren't they reaching out to us? Why aren't they helping us? Mm-hmm. You know, where are they? We're in a time of need. What if we were in that situation? And this is something that we've got to be conscious of as well, that if we fall into that situation and we want people to help, while we have the opportunity to help, why don't we? Mm. You know, and this is important. So look, the earthquake definitely shook it up. Um, 13.5 million people affected. Um, Alhamdulillah, we we sort of, when we we were there uh, on the fourth day, our team from Istanbul, we have an office in Istanbul. Um, they were there literally within the 24 hours. All the flights got cancelled. Uh, Hatay earthquake, the runway um, uh, had a massive crack running through it. Um, so they actually drove in the snow. It was still winter, it was still cold. 
and um, and you know for the team you know it wasn't easy and especially like after we were receiving four days um, the search and rescue was just wide and spread you know um, 60 70 80 people on top of one building drilling uh, four or five tunnels trying to reach the people is everyone involved in the search and rescue or is that left to the Look, the there are, uh, the initial days, yeah. we're all search and rescue. Everyone is, I yeah. mean, you've got to look at it this way, is um, how many search and rescue teams can Turkey have? When you've got 160,000 buildings affected, yeah. uh, how many excavators can one country own? Mm. And let's say even if you own that much machinery, how many can you have 160,000 operators? That all at once, definitely. All at once, no. at one time. And mind you... In that particular area, if you had the excavators and the operators, 95% of the operators passed away in, in that particular area already. So that had a massive effect already. Like councils had machinery, had the trucks and had every resources. Like Kurukan, uh, Kurukan uh, which is part of Hatay, lost 85% of their personnel from one council. So when you look at this, then that that uh, human resource has actually been passed away as well. So that was a big effect as well. So um, for us, you know, standing there, that there was two things that were actually happening. You know, your emotions are running high because you're, you're saving people. People are coming out of the rubble. So 11 days, uh, for, for 11 days, people were coming out alive. And think about that. You know, we're trying to figure out the psychology dark rubble you're facing death you're alone it's winter it's cold you're just in your pajamas uh, your life has been turned upside down you don't know you're going to survive or not you've got no food no water um, you're stuck between the rubble and you're surviving 11 days and this is just phenomenal and when you look at the miracles you know a baby came out mother passed away Six days later, the baby came out of the rubble, healthy, unscratched, alive. Wow. So the young children that came out eight to nine days later, they asked them and they said, how, how did you survive? Like, um, how did you survive in the rubble? And subhanAllah, the children's answers, they said, we weren't alone. We had companionship and we had food. Wow. So who gave the food and who gave the companionship? Yeah, definitely. So subhanAllah, you know, they were protected. The angels protected them. Yeah. So it just shows that, you know, um, if it was your time, you know, um, it was your time and, and you know, you, you know, inshallah, I'll accept them as all as martyrs. Yeah. Um, and if it wasn't your time, you were being protected. Exactly. And those people came out of the rubble. Did you have any interactions with those, like, the, yeah, the ones that I came mean, out of look, the rubble? Um, you're on the ground. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is the important thing was, like, when we landed, we actually didn't go straight to the field. We, you know, we knew, and being in so many emergency situations in the last 10 years, having our team already out on the field, giving out blankets, um, giving out warm, you know, clothing, uh, the warm cooked meals, um, they were already there, part of the search rescue and doing that, you know, helping. We went straight to help for the second phase because we knew what was going to happen because there would always be a shortage for the scale of devastation is housing. And because we understand that, you know, we went and purchased tents, we went and purchased containers, 
um, and did the groundwork and then we went out on the field. But yep. while we're out on the field, I mean, look, um, we were recording, I was live on Instagram in Adiyaman, eight kilometres away, 10 kilometres deep, 4.4 earthquake. You know, we were there, we were part of the, you know, the earthquakes that continually happened. Um, and we're on the field. So when you're out on the field, um, the Janaza vehicles, you know, the funeral vehicles are everywhere. Sirens are going off. Just chaos. And you've got to think, you know, that whole 13.5 million people that have been affected are not in buildings. They're actually on the street with you. Yeah. So the streets are just chaos. Yeah, you can't get from one end to the other end. The ambulances are going. Yeah. And subhanAllah in Antakya... Um, they opened up a brand brand new funeral area, like a burial ground, and subhanAllah, you know, you're going in the morning, and they're just starting the burials, you're coming back at night, thousand plus burials, yeah. and you're going the next day, you're coming back, the whole second section is filled. So it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's emotionally heartbreaking, you know, and, and, you know, you're listening to the family stories on the ground, and, and, you know, look, that whole, I think that 11, 12 days, you know, while, the people were coming out, you know, alive. Yeah. Families didn't leave the buildings, and it was cold. It was, you know, Karaman Marash was minus zero degrees. Mm. Like that night, we we actually couldn't even sleep in the evacuation center. There was people everywhere, so we actually had to sleep in the car. And it was that cold. We ended up having to turn the engine on twice, turn the heater on. The army gave us blankets. Like, and I was thinking, Subhanallah. Like, I'm still sleeping <coughs> in a car. That's you, yeah. You know, but. Um, the families are actually sleeping, like standing, not even sleeping, maybe sleeping, sitting where they are. Because, you know, in their mind, let's look at it. If you've left loved ones behind in the building, there was two things. One, please, you know, get them out alive. Yeah. Two, give me the body so I can bury them. Yeah. You know. So, the, you know, they were hopeful. And, and the other thing is, you know, look, over this last sort of six weeks, our team has been sleeping in a tent. Most people, because earthquakes is the major ones are striking at night, they don't want to sleep in the buildings. And even if they've got cracks or they're still safe, you know, they'll stay, go in during the day, have a shower or whatever it might be, and they'll come back out and they'll sleep in the tent in front of their building in the nights. So our team's been sleeping out on the ground for the last six weeks. And in the last six weeks, there's been um, over 3,000 tremors. Mm. So they've got a light on top of the tent, and yeah. that light is constantly shaking. So even, you know, if you check the news, oh, yesterday, this particular area had a 4.4. This area had a 4. This area had a 3 point something. This area had a 4.8. That's big so numbers as well. Yeah, it's big numbers. Yeah. And, and they're saying that, look, you know, uh, for those plates to sit back together and for the tremors to stop, it's going to take about a year. Okay. So, you know, um, you know, let's look at it from a family perspective. Um, you know, you go to bed at night. Um, and, and, you know, you think you're going to wake up and you've got your beautiful day planned out, your schedule, kids go to school, I'll pay these bills, I'll go to work, I'll do this, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. um, and your life is turned upside down, yeah. you know. Um, and then, but let's look at it from a child's perspective, you know. As a child, you know, you're going through two, 7.7, 7.6, 10 days later, another 6.4, you're still among the rubble because mm -hmm. these people hadn't left in those first 10 days. Mm -hmm. And then to continue to go through that tremors um, is very distraught for, you know, a child to go through or children to go through. Yeah. And um, we've got psychologists on our Sadaka Tent City in Antakya. And, um, and Alhamdulillah, we had a delegation of sheikhs 
um, that actually visited uh, last week to the Turkey Syrian border. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Sheikh Burhan Mahter um, come along. Uh, we had Sheikh Abdul Maus from Kondal Park Masjid in Sydney. Um, we had um, Sheikh Wal Ibrahim from Perth. Um, with Sheikh um, Anwar Ghali from Perth, um, who's part of the Islamic studies from the uh, Islamic school there. Um, what else do we have? Um, so you know, we had the dedication. There's people, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and, and look for them. You know, they they got to see it firsthand, and and they were asking, you know, like what's the children's status like? And I said, look, most children wake up at night, you know, screaming, you know, yeah. and and for us, we're here, we're playing games. You know, doing mind games and, you know, uh, alhamdulillah, you know, there's temporary classrooms set up. Now there's um, tent messages set up. Um, there's mobile um, libraries in buses. So that next phase of, you know, taking the kids back to uh, a living society has started. But, yeah, I mean, imagine for those children. So it's very, very hard to go through, and especially for the children that have come through from Syria, mm. you know, living jets, bombs, um, having family members pass away, seeing their homes being destroyed in their eyes and then come and living this earthquake ordeal in Turkey is the next phase of, um, you know... It's another them. test in of itself, you know. It, it, just is, shows yeah. to, it just shows how, alhamdulillah, like lucky we are over here. But then, again, can't compare uh, difficulties as well. But I was going to ask, though, yeah, so in a situation like that, I've always wanted to know, so you're in Australia or I don't know where in the world you are, and a situation like that occurs... Do you have like a set procedure where you're like that, I guess, uh, these organizations follow, like especially Salah Welfare and that? Um, because I've always wanted in places like that, obviously emotions are high, it's distressed, the weather's bad. Um, and I feel like sometimes if there's no order, then things can get even yeah. become even more worse. Well, that's what happens. You end up becoming um, an obstacle yeah. instead of an asset on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a big problem. But look, for us is... Um, being on the 10 years on the ground in all these emergency situations yeah. is that the first thing is really um, for us, I mean, as, as let's say a projects team, is to understand the need on the ground and where we can help. Um, and then what resources do we have? So are we a part of the search and rescue or are we actually part of the relief program? So the relief program is, is our specialty, then okay. So we know what people need. And if they're going to be out on the street, what, what do they need? They need warmness what's the climate like so where can we get all of this in a very short space of time so in that sense i think look um, one of the advantages i guess of being in turkey and us being of turkish uh, heritage is that you know we've got in istanbul uh, we've got an office in istanbul we've got a logistic center in mersin which is two and a half hours away um so we've got a procurement like a purchasing department mm. um so for us um it was a matter of okay Who's available? Who's going? Okay, the whole team get together. Okay, and then, you know, what do we need to do to reflect of what's actually happening on the ground? So your media team is also um, mobilised very quickly. So what are the reports on the ground? What are the death tolls? Um, and, and what is Sadaka doing? And I think this is very important as, as a charity or a humanitarian organisation is that, you know, many charities will always jump on and say there's a catastrophe let's collect and i think for us is we take a different approach is let's collect but what are we actually collecting for so let's give you a purpose so this way that's when we'll start the fundraiser so sometimes we may not start for a couple of days and people like oh brother you're not doing anything for turkey of course we are but once we know our program 
then we'll tell you and then you can donate specifically to what that actual program is for. Mm. And I find that that's a lot more effective. And that's where I think as a community, whether they're in Australia or around the globe supporting Southerka Welfare Fund, is they want that level of transparency. Mm. So I want to know what I'm donating for. And once I've donated, can I actually see where my money's gone? And I think it's mm. a twofold attack. So for us, it's then, okay, who is available? So me and Bilenz, who's our president, okay, two of us were available. Let's organise flights. How can we get out on the ground? Um, and, and subhanAllah, say, you know, flights got can, uh, cancelled. I bought a plane ticket to a whole different area. It's going to drive five and a half hours. That got cancelled. I bought another ticket. That got cancelled. So literally, I actually got stuck at Istanbul Airport. So the next resource was hire a car, drive 12 and a half hours, get to the other side of the border. The car that I hired said there is no fuel in that area. Everything's blockage. If I go there, I'm going to get stuck. I can't actually take you. They cancelled. So then, you know, hire a car. All right, we get one of our team members to drive us. All good. But alhamdulillah, you know, Allah opens doors. And while we're at Istanbul Airport, um, we spoke to Turkish Airlines. What are you here for? Where are you guys going? This is the reason that we're going. So alhamdulillah, we had a personalised jet with eight of us on it. They yeah. were taking cargo to help out on the ground yeah. uh, to Adana. So they put us on a flight with their own personnel and took us out on the ground. So oh, awesome. Allah opened doors, but then, you know, there was, all right, guys, you're on the ground. So if you're on the ground within the first 12 hours, what's the actual need? So then you're getting feedback. So then your procurement department is making purchases accordingly. Yeah. So you're preparing for phase one. Phase one, blankets, you know, um, warm clothing. Essentials, yeah. Essentials. Um, and then, okay, if they're going to be out on the street for a couple of days, it's an earthquake, okay, it could be a little bit longer. What do we need to do? Okay, we need to set up a kitchen. We need to get warm cooked meals out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then get as many team members out there to help as possible. And literally everyone from our office, uh, we've got a team of 15, except the accountant was left behind to make payments, purchase, whatever they need. Um, and everyone else was out on the field. Um, even Sister Aisha, who's part of our team, she had training with AFAD, which is the Turkish Government Relief Agency. So they they called it all their volunteers. So they went from out working as Sadaka, put on their AFAD hat and went out on the field and worked with them for a few days and then joined back into our own team um, and continued the work from there. So look, first couple of days was obviously a bit hard. Yeah. You know, uh, digging, did. digging, you know, out in the ground, listening to voices with your bare hands, and then obviously all that machinery equipment got out. <coughs> but yeah, you've got to follow that protocol of, um, you know, leadership, hierarchy, what is needed. So then, like I said, you actually become an asset on the ground. Yeah. And, and look, many people from around Turkey wanted to help. They were trying to drive in, loaded their car with water or whatever, you know, yeah. trying to help. But they were stuck on the road for hours. So I think, you know, look, everyone yeah. tried to do their bit in the first couple of days and then it sort of eased off. Um, and then, you know, it was like, okay, no more, you know, um, used clothing, um, no more containers, you know, like just, um, you know, these are Turkish people. Like they, the help you've given them, um, let's, you know, just try and buy new clothes. Um, you know, look, people were trying to help yeah, because exactly. then, you know, you're out on the field, you're trying to give used clothes. Yeah. But, you know, people sometimes... Mm. Um, will give more than used clothes and then you're trying to go through that whole rubble and weed it out out on the field and that takes time and takes um people to do that as well where else they should be doing something else out on the ground so you know we always say you know try and purchase on the ground help the economy help the people there get it out 
give something new and, and, and give relevant to what their culture is, their society, um, you know, th- th- their Muslim clothing. You know, we had people in Sydney packing high heels and, you know, little toodle dresses and, you know, like... Yeah, it does work like uh, that. Yeah, you know, look, you get that. So I yeah. think, you know, try, try to weave some of that out so there's no time wasting on the ground, you know. So alhamdulillah, but... but um, but that comes all with experience as well, you know. You know, because I'm guessing you guys have done this for a while. How long have you guys been in this? Doing this? So, like a welfare fund's been. Um, I think it's in its eleventh year now. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been in charity for a little bit longer than that. Um, but you know, look, um, as a team, uh, when the tsunami happened, the earthquake happened in Indonesia um, for Lombok Palu, um, the bushfires in in New South Wales. Yeah. Um, you know, the evacuation of Halep on the Turkey-Syrian border, you know, being on the ground in Yemen and Gaza, it just, you know, you, you get you you get that sort of um, preparation set down. And and look, to be quite honest for us, Alhamdulillah, Allah's, Allah's blessed all of our committee members. Um, we're all entrepreneurs. We all have our own businesses. I'm a builder by trade. Um, and, you know, we can pack up and leave when we need to and leave our work and we've got a team that's running our jobs and so on. Um, but, my my suitcase has been sitting at the door for the last ten years. Yeah, you know, ready so to go. Ready to Imagine. go. So when when we arrive, you know, the missus is usually like, "So should I pack it or uh, leave it?" Yeah, and I'm like, "Oh," and she's like, "Okay, I understand. You've already in your mind, you've set your next yeah. plan." So now she doesn't even ask that question. She just <coughs> leaves it there and is like, no. "Your kit's <laughs> ready. Everything's washed, ready." Yeah. And and Subhanallah, you know, look. Um, the last 12 months have just been, you know, Full really on. testing, you know. Um, and, and and you know, I was explaining and subhanAllah, you know, being here in Melbourne and talking at the Tarawees, and I was like, we haven't come out of emergency mode, you know. Um, you know, last Ramadan um, came to Melbourne, Alhamdulillah, we're with the community, you know, it's Ramadan, we're all pumped, and, yeah. you know, you're getting into the last 10 nights, and we're all looking forward for Eid, you know. COVID's a thing of the past. Yeah, alhamdulillah, you know, so it's it's good to be back in the masjids, and, and, and subhanAllah, you know, Eid came, and Eid wasn't Eid for us, you know, yeah. um, when we were supposed to be enjoying, uh, in, in, in a, you know, a time with our families. Gaza was being attacked, Masjid al-Aqsa was being attacked, and, you know, um, instead of having Eid, you know, we were sitting as a team and organizing um, an emergency campaign to help our brothers and sisters in Palestine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from there, then the domino effect happened, you know. Um, we had the floods in Pakistan and, and you know, one third of the country was affected. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and Pakistani people, mashallah, you know, yeah. they, they, they love their farming, they're hardworking people. Um, yes, there's drought, yes, there's, as there's poverty, um, but you know, when you go to when we went to Pakistan, like to the Sindh region, um, you're looking at desert, but then you're looking at the desert in a lake, yeah, you know, and some areas up to 10 meters deep. And yeah. you're like, Subhanallah, like I've been working here for two years, and all of my content and and my work and my distributions and iftars are all in this dry desert, and now you're looking at it, and everything's just water, it's underwater, you know, and Subhanallah. And you look at the, the drought that's happening in Somalia, the drought in Ethiopia, then you have floods in Sudan. Mm. Um, you know, we've had fires in the camp in Rohingya, um, the earthquake. And then you look at, you know, the crisis in Lebanon. And, you know, we've been to Lebanon a couple of times, you know, 
um, the inflation, the loss of value of currency, shortage of food, um, you can't get your money out of the bank. And there were like 14 um, armed robberies in a very short space of time. And then they just closed the banks. Yeah. The banks are actually now fully closed. ATMs are giving very limited money. Um, and there's one hour of electricity a day. Um, water is very, very little. Um, and, and you know, the families went through winter in Tripoli, in, you know, in these apartment blocks. Um, and the subhanAllah, like when I stayed, it's, you know, it's it's designed for summer, you know. But And, and, and I said to my team, like, I said, please forgive me. I said, I'm that cold. So I had my full undergear, you know, like our ski, ski equipment, yeah. fully clothed up. And I said, please, can I sleep, you know, in the bed in, in, in my clothes? I said, it's, it was that cold, you know, and he gave us, you know. And I'm thinking, subhanAllah, like, I'm packing up and I'm leaving in a couple of days. But what about these families that have to go three months of winter like this? Yeah, that call this place home. It's home. Yeah, it's home you know? to them. Yeah. And, and you know, then you go and, and you go out to the camps like in Arsal and Bekaa and, you know, you've got Palestinians and Syrian refugees. Mm. You know, I have to say, Alhamdulillah, our Lebanese community, you know, mashallah, they, they help all over the globe. Um, they're helping their families back in Lebanon. And the people of Tripoli, of Akkar, the north, like these are usually people that are the ones helping the refugees in their country. Mm. But today... They're in a situation on par with the refugees. Yeah, the only difference is they're in an apartment block and they're out in a tent. But when it comes to resources, they're exactly the same. So, you know, that, that happened. Afghanistan, the evacuation of Afghanistan, subhanAllah, you know, um, that was, you know, had us all on edge for about 10 days. Um, and then the war in Ukraine happened. And we all forgot about Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. how, do you, how do you guys manage all these programs, these projects? It's, it seems very difficult to see where you can like give every project a talk, like in its time and effort. Look, when it comes to emergency, I think as as charities we have to be everywhere to to help where we can. Um, you know, look, we we have a limited amount of countries that we work within, like on, on an ongoing basis, and that's about fifteen countries. Um, I mean, we'd love to say we're in 40 countries, 100 countries, but then we wouldn't give the huck to that. Yeah. Because what you'd really be doing is um, giving a little bit and then saying, oh, look, I work in this country. We don't do that. So, like, let's say Nigeria. Alhamdulillah, in Nigeria, there was a need um, for masajids because they were living, you know, out in the desert plains, you know, so in the northern part of Nigeria. Yeah. Um, so, Alhamdulillah, you know, we built... Uh, till date 27 masjids a Quran school but the reason we built them it wasn't just about building a masjid it was actually a community centre so once we started building them what we found is it actually became a community hub so the family started coming out of the, the desert um, that were living out in the open and now living closer to the community centre the masjid so why? they had clean water aid was coming to this particular area they had a safe place to pray at. They had an imam and a teacher who now, for the children that would spend hours every day collecting dirty water, and now got water and now got time on their hands. Mm -hmm. So now they got time on their hands. Let's teach them something. Exactly. So we actually found that these community centers that we were building, mm -hmm. within six months, uh, you know, the community outgrew itself. So we ended up, okay, we've got to go back and rebuild these, you know, like extend these. But this is what you actually want. You want to look at, 
projects that empower. But if I go to Nigeria and I only give in Ramadan and say, Alhamdulillah, I work in Nigeria, that's not really working in Nigeria. No but reason, yeah. If I'm making an impact on the ground, you know, I'm uh, training sisters for sewing machines. So I train them for three months. At the end of that three months, I give them a sewing machine. I give them the materials. Alhamdulillah, they earn about, you know, two to five US a day. They're not in the queue anymore asking mm. for food packets yeah. or waiting for charities to feed their children. Um, you know, we're helping the elderly or even the young ones who, uh, from drinking dirty water or not having, you know, clean food to eat, um, end up with, um, you know, losing their sight, giving cataracts. Disabled children that I've visited and I've visited 12 months later are still living in their homes and haven't seen sunlight, you know, giving them wheelchairs, getting them back into society, getting them back into school, playing with the children outside. Yeah. Like these are good empowerment projects that you yeah. can do locally on the ground to help them. Build them a school, build them a water station, you know, build them a masjid, um, you know, empower them, make a difference in their lives. And I think this is what... Uh, charities are about that. one it's about feeding um, and the second aspect about is then making a change in their lives so coming back you know it's been a busy 12 month schedule so yeah. a lot of these countries a lot Certainly, of work yeah. so um, you know we've, we went Alhamdulillah twice to Afghanistan um, you know um, it's really a matter of you know picking up the pieces you know a lot of sad stories um, subhanAllah you know when you sit with the families um, you know for 20 years, they said, you know, we would go to sleep at night, not knowing if we would wake up in the morning. Generally, you know, attacks on our homes would happen, um, you know, around that dawn period, um, you know, in your privacy of your home and your family, you know. Um, but Alhamdulillah, you know, now we can, you know, go to sleep knowing that we can wake up in the morning. You know, I think... Um, uh, you know, in that 20 years, I don't think Af Afghanistan has advanced at all. Um, unfortunately, you know, having a, a Western country or Western countries in there um, hasn't really added any benefit or value to them in terms of infrastructure or value. And when they left, they left with everything. Yeah. So Afghanistan is definitely starting from zero. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking because when you look at it, um, there are one million yatims, mm -hmm. orphans, mm -hmm. with no mother or no father. Mm. Um, you know, when you look at the uh, the culture of the Afghanis, they don't take drugs, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and today there are five billion people, women, children, men, who are actually addicted to opium. opium yeah. So the whole government's thing is setting up rehab centres um, to rehabilitate you know help the people come come off the drugs um so it's it's made a huge impact within in their culture and their society um how to house the orphans how to look after them how to take care of them um banks are closed how do you get money into the country you know how do you how do you help um you know getting charities onto the ground Look, they've got a lot of resources. I think everyone wants their resources, but I think they're putting a helping hand to recognise them as a, as a government to, to help them. Um, and Alhamdulillah, look, you know, um, we're, we're out on the ground. We opened an office. We've got a logistics centre. Um, for us, it's it's to help the people. Yeah. So the food packs is, is always the first 
point of call, getting you know food on the table, Ramadan, iftar, you know, get, you know, giving out warm cooked meals, um, and you know, giving food packs, giving footer packs in the last ten days, taking the children aid clothing. Um, so th- this is the important initial phase, I think, for us. Um, and Subhanallah, there were two orphanages the second time I went, um, where the UN had pulled out because they hadn't taken the girls back to school. Um, so Alhamdulillah, th- uh, two of those three orphanages we've picked up and now we're supporting those orphans through the month of Ramadan mm-hmm. and we'll give them that continual support, inshallah. Um, so yeah, look, I think it's, 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 you know, it's a bit of Band-Aid, you know, pick up where you can um, and then just then it's that next, next phase of, you know, how can we help? It's a big Band-Aid though. It is a big band-aid. You know, look, years I think is a long time. It, it's, it's a big amana yeah. on us as humanitarian charity organisations. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, we can't do this work alone. Yeah, no. You know, we, we, we are only a platform, a stepping stone. Um, it is the community and it's our Muslim ummah, you know. And when you look at uh, the band-aid of the ummah, it is actually the Muslim community who is actually financing it. You know, we don't have the World Bank. We don't have our own currency. Um, we, don't, we don't work off grants. We are purely working on donations. And Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts the barakah in it. You know, we're all out there. And I think, you know, if every charity is out there doing what they're supposed to be doing, then, you know, we're, we're doing what we can. And everyone's um, got a, a piece of the puzzle, a piece of the corner, and they're putting it together. But look, we, we see that, you know, we are still tested with calamities. We are still tested with... Um, further attacks it's part on, of life, on yeah. our Muslim countries and, and, and you know you build they destroy you build they destroy you're rebuilding and I think it's a part of that you know rebuilding phase and look Allah's blessed us you know maybe we're attaining and gaining Jannah through their struggles because you know you know sometimes they say oh brother you know um, how do you keep doing what you're doing you know and I say look I got a video I think just that came up a couple of days ago in Gaza um, and we were giving out the food packets and this auntie was standing at the door and it started raining and I'm like, please go in. I'll, I'll bring it to I promise I'll bring it. Just please go in. I said, look, please tell her in Arabic as well, you know. Yeah. And subhanAllah, she wouldn't go in. She stood there in the rain and I gave her her food packet and subhanAllah, she started crying. I started crying. I don't understand her. She doesn't understand me. <laughs> yeah. But our hearts are connected. Yeah. And, you know, she's making dua. And I'm like, subhanAllah, you know, like... And I said it in the video. If this was my food pack and it had my name on it and I wanted this experience, I would have paid a thousand bucks for it. Mm-hmm. And even more. Mm-hmm. Like, we could not put a value on mm-hmm. the dua, the yetim, the miskin, our widows. Like, they're making. Yeah. And they're genuine. But the fact is, they have they don't need to. Yeah. But you know, when we look at it, and sometimes I think the protection of us are maybe uh, the du'as that we're getting from the people around the globe. And I look at it and I say, you know, we weren't blessed as the ten Sahaba of Rasulullah that were given Jannah. So for me, how can I be complacent? I haven't been guaranteed Jannah. Mm. You know, I don't know. Is it because I'm maybe good to my mother and father? Maybe my Hajj was accepted. Maybe I'm just in my tijara. Um, maybe it's the dua of that yetim or miskin with sincerity that they made. And maybe when I gave, I gave $70 for a food pack, but I didn't f- 
think, you know, oh, the brother was at the masjid, he gave a good talk, I'll just give 70 bucks, whatever it is. But that person that you gave that food packet, I left my country, I left Australia, I went all the way to Yemen, I packaged it, I put it on a box, the sister couldn't make it to the distribution, I personally went to her house and I delivered the food packet. Mm. And at her iftar or sahur time, she put her hands up to the arsh and said, may Allah reward the person who donated this and made it possible, give them jannat al-furdaus Allah. And that got accepted. (laughs) Subhanallah. Why would why wouldn't you have that opportunity, you know, to to open all the doors of opportunity to attain Jannah, and maybe that is the acceptance. Mm. And Alhamdulillah, you know, that's why I say, you know, this type of charity work can't be underestimated, yeah. and uh, it is underestimated as well, because it's, to us it's just like seventy dollars, whatever. It's not going to have yeah. an impact, but when you don't see it firsthand, then it's a whole new different world. By the way, guys. There's 80% of you guys who watch our videos are actually not subscribed. So, <laughs> stop the video right here. <laughs> My voice cut out. Stop the video right here. Subscribe. I'll give him a second. Now we can resume the video. Enjoy. You know, um, one of the heartfelt stories was um, when I got to Turkey, um, there's a there's a Uncle Mehmet. And subhanAllah, like, you know, for the last maybe eight, nine years, you know, we, um, when you donate, you know, we, we go to him as a wholesaler. Um, we buy the food from him, we package it, do our warehouse programs, get it out onto the field. And subhanAllah, Allah's blessed him, you know, blessed him with a very successful um, business, you know, with his warehouse. He opened 34 stores, 34 like IGA, food works, you know, food stores. Um you know, he drives around in, in a best Mercedes SL S class, you know, and Allah's blessed him. And subhanAllah, um, when the earthquake happened, he lost the warehouse, all the stores crumbled, um, and he didn't buy everything in cash, so he bought them on consignment. So after 50, 60 days, everyone came for their money. Mm-hmm. And subhanAllah, he's now bankrupt, he's living in a tent, and when he had his interview, he said, you know what, we had everything on the table, everything you can think of for food, breakfast-wise. He said, when I sat with my wife and my kids and we asked ourselves, how do we end up like this? He said, you know what, he said, we did not make enough shukr. We weren't thankful for enough for what Allah had given us and he has now taken it away from us. So subhanAllah, think about it. For someone with ultimate wealth, mm-hmm. to being in a tent and looking out, is there any charity going to come to give food? And he is now in a situation to be a recipient of that food or waiting for a warm meal. And subhanAllah, how Allah can change our condition very quickly. Brother Juma, who's our um, person, who's our butcher, he cuts our kurban every year, and every year when you donate to us and you see me on the Turkey-Syrian border cutting the kurbans, Subhanallah, he said, I went to bed and I woke up and when I woke up, I lost 30 of my family members. Lost his butcher business, lost his auto gallery, lost all his wealth and subhanallah, please brother Joshkin, you know, I've never asked you before. I feel embarrassed to ask. Can you please give me a container? You know, and you would have to beg this guy to do your kurban 
because mm. he was so much in demand. Not because he's arrogant, mm. it's just in demand. Mm. Good team, yeah. cuts, get you out on the field, package, and that's what you want. Because Kurban is strictly over four days, but the first day everyone spends with their families. Yeah. So you only got three days to do your whole Kurban. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, your, and your heart's just achy. You're like, brother, it's all good. No worries, sort out. Get the containers, everything out, you know. And Alhamdulillah, our teams are out there. The the fields prepped. The containers are going out on site. But it just shows, you know, that you know um, your test could be very different in a very short space of time. And and I think you know it's important to always make shukur and say Alhamdulillah and be blessed every single day. Every day that you wake up, wake up. I always say Alhamdulillah. Allah has given me another day to be good, inshallah. Exactly. So I think in that sense. Um, you know, we just need to be grateful for what we have. Um, yes, we can all be tested. We can all have calamities in our lives. Um, and Allah tests the ones that he loves. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never burdens a soul more than what he can handle, he or she can handle. Um, and everyone's test is different. And everyone's going through different struggles. So, inshallah, you know, um, we've, we have to be like uh, AU, peace be upon him, and have the, the, the level of patience and, and make shukur and stay firm on our belief. Um, and, uh, and inshallah, you know, whatever tests that we have here in Australia or wealth that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives, we make shukur for it. And uh, inshallah, you know, um, you know, we don't get tested of those and we be the ones that can always be the helping hand to the rest of the world, inshallah. But I was, was going to ask sure. you, I was going to ask, so did you want to finish off? No, 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 I was going to ask you, yeah. Um, so that's you now understanding the value of the humanitarian work that you yeah. do and I guess um, the benefits that you see like directly. Why did you get into humanitarian work? Because you can only you hear about it, obviously. Yeah. People call you to it, that people, there's a need for it, you know. It's but obviously it's... Exactly. And it's a lifestyle shift as well from being a builder. All right. So, brothers, look, I've got to be very frank with you. It's not actually hard to get into. Okay. Uh, the, the, fact, the reality is this. I mean, look, I... Um, uh, you know, when I found Islam, uh, I'm a born Muslim. Um, I have practicing parents. Um, you know, where I lived in Sydney... Um, wasn't you know eastern suburbs um, yes alhamdulillah we had our masajids but we lived a lifestyle of dunya you know real estate agencies the latest vehicles the best houses just you know there was Juma prayer and when you know when I came back to Islam you know me and my brother we went to Hajj mm -hmm. and when we found Islam we were going to this masjid and in this masjid we met this bloke called Muhammad Hoblos yeah. and you know, it's like, yeah, you boys are really nice boys. You know, where are you? You're Turkish, are you from the eastern suburbs and so on? And it's like, you need to go to Hajj. I'm like, what's Hajj? It's like, oh, you know, you got to Hajj. It's one of the pillars of Islam and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, brother, we've just found Islam. Like, I don't know. Do we need to go? Are we ready for it? I don't know. No, no, no. You got to come to Hajj. Um, and we said, all right. So he was our roommate, our guide, everything. Went to Hajj with him in 2012. And we made dua, you know. We said, Ya Allah, look, for all this time of our life, we have been away from the deen. We've served everything in the dunya, but we served nothing for the akhirah. Nothing to benefit people, just ourselves. So we said, please use us in your cause. And he used us to benefit the people. And, you know, I think, um, you know, the doors opened. So charity didn't happen straight away, alhamdulillah. Uh, we came part of a masjid committee. Uh, we had a period there. Then uh, we helped another organization. 
um, and help with their charity. Then we just started volunteering. And then the opportunity, you know, it started with Bangladesh and my brother and another brother, Murat, they started Sadaka Welfare Fund. Mm -hmm. And look, for my initial thing for was I'm a builder. Um, take my money. Don't get me involved. Yeah. Um, I'm busy as it is. But I got you. I've got kids, so please don't get me involved. So for 12 months, I was actually only a donor. Um, and then uh, our first actual trip then saying, okay, you know what, this is serious. Like, you know, people are trusting, they're giving money, we're doing work. We've got to go out on the ground. Like, we can't just send money, so we've actually got to get out on the ground. Um, and then it was Brother Bilenz. Um, his wife was giving birth. It was the first baby. Like, she was like, you know, stay back. It's like, you've got to go. I was like, you're crazy. You're going to send me to Bangladesh? I said, I'm not going. I said, no, just forget it. And he was like, no, no, you have to go. You can't let Murat go on his own. you got to go. you got to go. So I'm like, okay. So here I am, thongs, pants, yeah. T-shirt, yeah. on a plane to Bangladesh. And I'm yeah. at the airport. Yeah. Mate, what are you doing here? I'm not sure. I'm yeah. here. It's like, like, what's your purpose of visit? I don't know. I'm, I'm a tourist. I was yeah. just told to be here. Yeah, like a tourist, like, okay, what, what are you coming to see? Where are you staying? Alhamdulillah, we got in and... And the funny thing is, um, you know, we went to a place called Kishiraganj, Tatarkanda village, and we're making some sacrifice of animals. We're like we said, we don't go for the, nothing. As tourists, let's actually do something. We, you know, package the meat and I've got it in my hand and I'm giving it to families, you know, and you're listening to their stories. Some haven't eaten meat for a year, some haven't eaten meat for 10 years. And, and the, th the, the thing was, if charities in Kurban do not come to this particular area, we actually don't have meat. Oh, wow. So it's only in Kurban we get to eat meat. We have fish in our ponds, we can afford chicken, um, but meat is a luxury. Yeah. And subhanAllah, you know, when we got there, the families came with all these letters and, and I'm like, what are all these letters? This is cancer operation, medical, need this, need that. And I'm like, subhanAllah, I had a suitcase of requests. Yeah. And I'm like, brother Zakir, how do we get around to all this? This is just crazy. And this is just one area. And where do you start? Where do you start? Yeah. And, and you know, when I came back home and I said, mum, I said, look, she was like, how was your trip? <laughs> where do I start? And, I, and I'm like, I and I said, I said, you know, I said, these people are living maybe what we lived in Australia. I don't know. It's 100, 200 years ago, you know. And I explained and she said, you know what? She said, when I was a child in Turkey, 70 years ago, that's how we lived. Mm -hmm. I said, but mum, that's the point. You lived it 70 years ago. We're living this in 2013. I go, it doesn't make sense. You know, it, it just doesn't fit. Yeah. And I guess if you don't venture out and you don't, if your heart's not open, you can actually bypass all the poverty and just go to Dubai, go to Bali, go to Gold Coast, yeah. go to wherever and be totally oblivious of the reality of what poverty means or way that the people are living. So I thought, you know what? Okay, so this is now an amana. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll just, you know, answer our door and maybe this is where we've got to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Because I felt like I couldn't come back and just pretend that whatever happened over there didn't actually happen. Exactly, so it was a humbling experience. Yeah, it was a humbling experience. And then yeah. it became a responsibility. So slowly, slowly got involved and then alhamdulillah, you know, it grew from there. So we stayed focused on Bangladesh and look, even with Turkish background, people are like, why are you working in Turkey? Why are you helping the Syrians? And I'm like, look, there's many charities there. We don't need to be there. What's the point of competing in the same space and for the same resources 
Let those charities collect it. Let them do the work, yeah. and we'll go to somewhere where there's nowhere else. Exactly. So no one else. And Alhamdulillah, look, I think just over you know a couple of years of working, um, I went for a, um, a building expo in Istanbul, um, and they were like, "You have to come to the border." I looked, the, just the needs to be, no, you have to come to the border. No, you have to come to the border. No, and I said, "All right, one day I'm giving you. I'm going to come and I'm going to look." So subhanAllah, when you go, you know, your heart's soft, you go, you see the condition of the people, you see the need, um, and they know like, okay, you know, maybe we need to start venturing out as an organisation and not just work in Bangladesh, we need to be working in more countries. Mm. So I still consider myself half Bangladeshi. Uh, <laughs> my passport's pages are full of Bangladeshi visas. People yeah. find it difficult to find stamps. Yeah. Um, so alhamdulillah you know look it's still close to our heart we still do a lot of work there um, but you know we're, th- we're everywhere at the moment and trying to make an impact make a change to be quite honest it takes over your life um, it does doesn't it you you're, know, not wa- you're not wearing thongs anymore to Bangladesh yeah I'm actually <laughs> actually I'm still you know I'm, I feel at home you know because yeah. I can I can eat their rice I can eat a bit of the, I eat More their food their biryani you know like you sort of culture in I think yeah. your stomach and your immune and everything eventually over yeah. time adjust and build you know you go to Pakistan <laughs> start eating their food you go to Afghanistan you know those initial days were like one suitcase of you know ready bread mm. tuna um, peanut butter Nutella honey um, instant coffee yeah. so you're like you're taking your whole shopping can't afford to get sick oh my god if I get sick go to Bangladesh airport yeah. I can't be I mean sorry hospital and yeah. they're not going to be treated and you know like the whole fear you know like but um you get past that and you're like, Alhamdulillah, whatever is from Allah, it's from Allah, Allah exactly. Shafi. You know, if you get sick, you get sick. But mm-hmm. obviously you've got to be conscious. We drink mm-hmm. bottled water. We don't drink from the tap and, you know, those sort of things. But, you know, you'll see me, I drink water from our water wells. I drink water wells from um, sure. our Gaza water stations. You know, your body builds to it. But if I can't drink it, then the people can't drink it. So, yeah. Alhamdulillah, I'm drinking it, they're drinking it. So, um, but Alhamdulillah, so yeah, you become a little bit more resilient. But... For us, it's uh, now it's it's an amana, you know. Yeah, I think Allah's Allah's chosen us for this, and and you know, um, you know, when I found Islam, a lot of time it played on my guilt, you know. And many times when I sat with the Mashaikh, I said I just feel really guilty about my past, you know. And the Sheikh said, you know, he said, look, you've made toba. I said, yeah, I've made toba. You started fresh. I said, I started fresh. He said, don't look back. Exactly. He said. And, and then I realized, and he said, you know, what your past will define your future. Mm-hmm. And I think um, if it wasn't for the past, maybe I couldn't do what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it's everyone's kettle of fish to be standing in Afghanistan, standing in Yemen, mm-hmm. standing in Gaza, um, going to places, you know, like in Bangladesh, no GPS, I'm island hopping, no white man's ever been there. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I think you've got to have a part of that self-confidence. I think you've got to have part of that, um, you know, self-defense, knowing that you can protect you and your team. Um, and, you know, Allah's given maybe that attribute, you know, go, you know, and you think, okay, if he's given me that, I've got to put it to good also use. Also builds your character as well. More builds your character. Yeah. That's it. And I think, you know, um, you know, we've built along. Maybe I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. And inshallah, yeah. I'm in a better place and uh, in better in iman and a better status. And inshallah, in a better status with the angels. Yeah. But, you know, look, um, alhamdulillah, I think our team looks at it that way as well. And, and you know, th- I looked at it always this way. Since I, I mean, I'm a donor. So as, as, as a donor... If I'm a donor, what would be my expectations from a charity? Mm. 
So I always looked at it this way. Can I fulfill those expectations for someone else? Mm-hmm. And inshallah, for our donors of Sadaka Welfare Fund around the globe, inshallah, we can fulfill that. Mm-hmm. And part of that is not just um, sending the money. It's about buying quality products. Allah SWT says, you know, give from what you eat. So we're giving that a quality. You know, we want them to be grateful, not be, you know, hateful on what we've given because mm-hmm. we've given them something low quality or something that they can't eat yeah. for the sake of giving. Package it. Make sure if it's supposed to be 22 kilos, it's 22 kilos. It's out on the field. It's been distributed. Um, the huck of the zakat is given, you know. Um, you're out there. Because, see, when I go out there, I look at it, sometimes something very small. Because they're stuck in that environment every day, they can't sometimes see the solution uh, to fix something very small. But then I come from an outsider, and with that you know, experience, we look at it and say, okay, we should do this and we should do that and we should do this. And for very small money, sometimes we can resolve, you know, big problems. And I think if you don't do that, then you're really not giving huck to the donation because then I could just be burning that money, just putting it into a black hole and that solution is actually not being fixed. So inshallah, I look at it as one, what are we fundraising for? And two, that level of transparency that if you've given, this is what we're actually doing with that money as well. And I think yeah. that's a that's an important part yeah, of it. With that transparency, I actually love with your social media content I was seeing the other day, you guys physically show the fifteen dollar iftar packs. You're showing it, you're giving it to people so that people at least know even if you are giving ten, fifteen dollars, it goes a long way. And it's showing exactly who it's going to and how much it is. Definitely, and I think look, that's why um, even like last week when we have the, our esteemed sheikhs from Australia as a delegation, um, I didn't take them straight to the field. I took them to the packing logistics center, yeah. and I think um, you know y- you need to understand what that process is because you know somebody has to buy those chickpeas, those lentils, yeah. the dates. You know, there's a lot of dates on the market, yeah. but. Let's buy some good dates. Yeah. Okay, who's got it available? You know, what's at a good price? Um, and, and then you've got to then bring it in, the sugar, the flour, the salt, and everything else, bring it in. Mm-hmm. Make sure it's at the right weight. Then someone's got to package that. Then your team out on the field has to go to the right people and give them tokens. Yeah. So there's no stampede, no fighting, you know, on that particular day. You know, you've got a controlled environment where you're going to do your distribution. You've got to get that truck from the warehouse to out on the field. Yeah. So Hamdan, the sheikhs, we got them involved in that packing process mm-hmm. um, to, to actually understand. And then what they packed, they gave out on the field. And yeah. I think that's important is that, you know, that journey of that $15, you know, yeah. comes into an Australian bank or through the website into the bank, gets transferred overseas, gets transferred out to the logistics centre. There's a purchasing process. So, you know, sometimes... Um, you know, as a community, we're, we're conscious, you know, that um, admin, mm-hmm. oh my God, you know, like admin, you know, uh, yeah. you know it, it, how much of my money is going out to do all of this. And Alhamdulillah, you know, for eight years as an organisation, we were 0% admin. Mm-hmm. Because Alhamdulillah, as committees, our Hajj friends, our corporate sponsors, we covered all expenses. And obviously with COVID, we got affected a little bit and we found that, you know, the community and our income and resources... Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, we, we try and minimise that. And mm. at the moment, I think we're at about 4 to 5% um, admin. Um, and, you know, all of that is covered um, with all of the expenses. And Alhamdulillah, you know, we, through our website, 
we give our donors an opportunity to support us, mm -hmm. that transparency of that 5%. And most people, you know, love that transparency and actually give that 5% to help yeah. make that donation actually come to life. So there is a bit of a process on there in, in, in terms of getting things out there. And I think it's important for our community um, to understand that yeah. journey because charity is not just that last giving of that food yeah. pack yeah. to a brother or sister out of the field. There's a massive process in the background. That would and make a good video concept, you know? Like if if people understood that just because of that number on their bank account, that one five or that seven zero, something like that, it doesn't rock up to someone in Turkey in, in the form of seven zero, you know? Yes. It's like it takes that packaging and all that. And I feel Four like, steps. yeah, and then there's that dual communication as well. People realise that this is how it's all done and they become more appreciative of the work. Yes rather than, hey, where's everything going? Yeah. Like what's being done with all of this? And I think, you know, um, our community's come a long way. Uh, I think, you know, we're a m lot more astute, um, you know, when we're giving charity, you know, um, you know, like looking into where, we, where do we want to give our money, where do we want to donate, who do we want to give it to, mm. understanding that process. And I think, alhamdulillah, I think our charities in Australia or around the globe, Muslim charities have done a really good job in trying to... Uh, put that picture into process yeah. and get, get a little bit more of that understanding. So we show a little bit more of that warehouse packing. Um, but look, you know, uh, the last couple of days, especially like here in Melbourne, uh, I was saying, um, you know, the videos that we do on social media, they're not just for adults. They're, the videos are for everybody. And they're actually, especially for our children. Mm -hmm. um, you know, look, I know it might be a hard call, but, you know, look, we are we are willing in some aspect to allow our children to watch Hollywood movies. Mm -hmm. But why aren't we allowing them to watch the videos of what our Ummah's going through? You know, so the fact is, is, you know, I look at it in Ramadan, like we have a family policy. Everyone, you know, we get $1 coins, all of our family will see it after Fajr. Everyone will put $1 each. So your charity for that particular day is done. Mm -hmm. But that's for our kids. We do our other charity on the side, but for our kids yeah. to get them involved. So, and this is what we have to do as families, is we need to get our children involved into that process of giving. So when you give, you say to your child at the time of uh, iftar, come sit, well, before we make our dua, let's just watch this video from Yemen or from Gaza. See the money that you gave f is going to feed this auntie today and she's going to have iftar. So while we're having iftar, she's eight hours behind. Ah, it was loud, she's going to have iftar as well. Your money allowed her to fast. Yeah. Got to get that connection in with our children. Got to show them what the reality and the condition of our ummah is. Don't let someone else tell them. Mm -hmm. You tell them. As a mother or father, engage them. Show them. Show them where the money's going. Because it came back, you see how you said it would make a great video, a connection point yeah. with the food pack of that journey. Well, why not do that with your children? Excellent. Get them involved. Okay, we're donating today, a dollar a day, whatever it might be. Um, and this is what's the end result at the end of the day, and this is the impact. Look, that dollar we gave. Look, in Somalia, it's a water station. Mm -hmm. So that, look, the kids are drinking from the dollar that you gave. They're drinking that water f that you actually gave to them. And look where they're actually getting the water. They're getting them from dirty ponds, not clean. And this is creating sicknesses like malaria. And the children are then going to hospital. There's no medical. There's no treatment. It has a domino effect. Yeah. But alhamdulillah, my son, my daughter, look, you made an impact on their lives. Yeah. And it's removing that stigma of, um, like, why do we give? You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think that's the biggest problem sometimes. It's like, okay, cool. Even if I give, why am I giving us? But then if you condition that 
from such a young age and the whole process of giving doesn't become a burden but it becomes like a way of life almost. a way of life it's it's a part it's a part of us and yeah. i think that that's very important and i think that's why los Montala has given zakat as one of the pillars of islam yeah. um so alhamdulillah look you know it's um and i think you know um we all have our time and our error we don't know what future generations what it will be like for them for them for giving in charity how easy it will be to give in charity mm-hmm. um so you know for them to be our future leaders um our future people that work in charity future people who represent us in politics our future people who run our islamic schools the future people who run our masajids you know our masajids are our key to our to our community you know many look up to our mashaykh you know sheikh where should i give my donations is there anyone that you can recommend um you know i've come for taravi for juma um alhamdulillah having sadaqa welfare fund there as an organization to give their experience from the ground um you know gives them a platform to give their donations and and you've got to have that understanding as 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 a global because now you know we have the upper hand mm-hmm. of giving it charity but tomorrow we maybe be tested with the lower head and be the people of need and we would then want the rest of the ummah and yeah, the communities exactly. to to stretch their hand out and help us so maybe we don't know maybe yeah. our children might be in that situation so and like you said you all can change over one night when you can't talking about the whole syria turkey um, it's called the border. It's like the same people that were on this side of the border have now like experienced this, you know, so it can all change. Okay. I was going to ask you a question sure. though. Um, from a personal aspect, yeah, how do you separate your two lives? You know, so like what you see and then you experience over there firsthand in these countries. When you come back to Australia, how do you like deal with it as well? Like, like I guess compartmentalize it, like don't burden yourself in regards to Oh, it's a tough question. It is. Um, look, I think, you know, in the back of your mind, you always know that if you're alive, you're going to come back home. Mm-hmm. You know, you know there's a family waiting for you. You know you've got children. You know you've got a responsibility. Um, you know, you, you know you've got a team. You've got an organisation. You've got your own construction company. There's responsibilities. There's a mana, you know. Um, but, you know, look, the things that we see and we feel obviously um, have an effect on us. You know, my wife said to me uh, before I came to Melbourne, she said, uh, you've been crying a lot more lately. You know, and I said, yeah, I have been. I said, you know, I said, I'm probably one of the few people that have been to, you know, to Lebanon and Afghanistan, Yemen, Gaza, Turkey-Syrian border in the last six weeks constantly. And I said, you know, what you see is 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 not easy to take in. But Alhamdulillah, excuse me, Alhamdulillah for Iman, you know. Um, so you know, it's um, uh, you know, you you pick yourself up, you read the Quran, you stand in salah, you make du'a. Um, you know, it does affect you, but like I say, with that abana, the responsibility it comes a responsibility. So for us. We don't have emotional downtime. You know, when you get back, it's like, boom, you're on the ball. What's the next phase, you know? Um, you know, most times, you know, we land from the airport and before we see our families, we're actually back into the office and then we go home. But alhamdulillah, you know, we try and find that balance to, um, you know, spend time with our families. Um, you know, Ramadan is a time that we probably see less of them. I probably haven't had an iftar with my family for many years. Um, but I always look at it this way, and this is we, what we say to our own team. Your sacrifice in Ramadan feeds millions around the globe. 
So you may have maybe more of an opportunity to be in intercuff. Maybe you can't stay in intercuff because you have to be in the office. Uh, maybe you could do khatim, you know, read your Quran, but maybe you only le- read little Quran. You know, you, you don't get full time for your full ibadah as maybe someone else does. But your sacrifice allows someone else around the globe to fast. Your sacrifice allows someone to have a home. Your sacrifice allows someone to clean drink water. Mm. Your sacrifice allows an orphan to have care. Mm. And I think, um, you know, we live with this. So our families understand it. Um, four years ago, I took my wife and kids uh, to a Qurban program on the Syrian border. To see it firsthand? Firsthand. Yes. And I took my wife and kids uh, two weeks ago to the Syrian border, uh, to, uh, to Turkey for the earthquake. Um, so it was a good experience. The kids did the same program, packing, going out, distributing it. Um, and, and it makes a massive impact. And I think your families need to understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, understand the feeling. Um, otherwise, you know, if you don't have a supportive family, it's very hard to do what we're doing because we're constantly away. And, and look, you know, our families understand it's for the sake of Allah and it's not because I'm a CEO of an organization and I'm earning three, four hundred thousand. I think th- they would be past the money. They wouldn't care. They would just, you know, you'd be at divorce state. But because it's for the sake of Allah, they understand um, and they support it. And I think that's important. And um, having them out on the field was good because so they can actually see firsthand whether it was our families or whether it's our esteemed sheikhs, um, you know, their feedback was, um, no matter how much you showed us on social media, how much the news outlets showed us, we didn't understand the true scale of devastation until we were actually out on the ground. Mm. Can't show everything. Yeah. Limited. Then on that topic right there, other than giving, as in like monetary value or support, resharing and all that, is it possible for people like, let's say our listeners and that, that they can actually go volunteer and see it firsthand for themselves look we get a lot of requests to say brother please take me you know take me out on the ground and i think you know look there, there's some important things you know when you go out on the ground and before you go out on you know making sure you know you're right in the right frame of mind and you know state of mind and you know in a position that you know you can go out but you know before you go out i think you know we've got to look at it you know we live in australia we have compliance in australia we have governance in australia if you end up, I met you today and tomorrow I had you on the Turkey-Syrian border. You know, we've got to be realistic. You know, when you look at that from an Australian compliance perspective, what are you doing here? Yeah. You know, um, you're not related to me. You're not part of the organisation. I've picked you up and I've dumped you onto this particular f- area. So maybe I'm actually not doing you a benefit. I may be doing zulum to you mm-hmm. because you're not may- maybe prepared for this. Mm-hmm. But you just wanted to come along and I took you. I think the key to being involved in charity, and it all states we have volunteer groups, mm-hmm. we have induction programs, um, you know, we have many programs that we want to engage in the community. You know, sometimes you know you think, oh, you're from Sydney, is everything Sydney based? No, it's not. You know, um, we did used to have an office here in Kullaroo. We are looking to reopen our office here in Melbourne. Um, we have an office um, in uh, Brisbane that's just about to open. We've got an office in Perth. Um, we're about to open in Adelaide. So we are looking at engage, uh, expanding this. And the reason being is that we want volunteers to get involved and experience what we've done. We don't want them to think, 
oh, the brother's taken everything and there's nothing left for us. Mm. You know how we have that whole mentality of the old men hold on to the mischief committee and they want to let go and yeah, we're like, yeah, oh, yeah, when yeah, are they yeah, going to yeah. retire and leave? Sorry, there's not old, any old men here. <laughs> um, so, um, so you know, we're, we're not about that as well because at the end of the day, you know, um, we're, we're, we're not here forever too. And, and you know, we get tired too. We want the youth to take over. We want the youth to experience what we we have and eventually let them be the beacon, the light, the, the, the light bearers, the one that carry the organisation and we can sit back. Um, so in that terms, when you volunteer, you know, Let's get involved. Okay, what programs? Let's get involved within the masjids, the collection points. Let's get involved with our Islamic schools. Um, like, alhamdulillah, like we had uh, Brother Ahmed who came in, volunteered. You know, he's in Perth. He put on a soccer tournament, in um, indoor soccer tournament um, for the Turkish Syria earthquake. The sisters had a Quran halakha walk in the park. There are many things we can do. But you know what? I can't do everything. Yeah, you so can, I yeah. actually need the volunteers to yeah. do this. So, you know, if they're genuine about helping, um, on our website, on sadaka.org.au, we have a volunteer registration. Um, and Brother Hussam looks after the registrations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and we have an induction. And, and look, I think we're one of the more fortunate organisations. Um, we have a, you know, full-time Islamic advisor, Sheikh Burhan, um, who's part of our team uh, we have the induction and then we have the program so what we do is we set the calendar with the volunteers so it's not what i want and you follow it's about okay what's your idea what would you like to do okay let's put a calendar in place and let's implement it exactly. so whether you want to run a youth program whether you want to maybe put pgcc's youth program and um i don't know what are the mysteries what are the mysteries that i've gone press the most youth and together and you want to take them out on a camp yeah. whatever it might be so we're happy we're happy to help we want to give back to the community um, it's part of our obligation to also to give back to the australian community our muslim community um and, and we're happy to help but like i said we need manpower to do this as well yeah. so if the volunteers would like to come forward and get involved then what happens is you build your portfolio within that 12-month period. Exactly. And I'm not going to take you to the Turkey Syrian border after yeah, 12 months. Yeah. I might take you to Bangladesh. I might take you to Pakistan. I might take you to Indonesia. And then from there, we build you up on that. Exactly. I didn't happen in you know overnight. It was a building process for me as well of years of training in Bangladesh to then venture out to all these countries. So yeah. I think you know you got to be a part of that journey, part of that family, part of that culture. Get involved and and you know start. And sometimes you know it might actually eventuate into a career yeah. because the, the reality is is that you know um, you know we talk about this process, but sometimes there's that process here in Australia as well. Um, you, you know whether it's COVID and you need to do a COVID pack, it's a bushfire, you need to do a pack. You know, sometimes you need volunteers, but then sometimes you need people full-time to actually have an implementation as well. So it can actually become a career. Yeah. Are you a graphic designer? Um, you're working out in the corporate world and you don't want to be designing things that are inappropriate. Mm -hmm. yeah. Come, we need graphic designers. You're creating great video content, but you're, not, you're creating content that's non-Islamic. Yeah. It doesn't fit with your futra. Mm. Come, 
will hire you as a video, you know, graphic designer, or editor, yeah. or you know, someone who can shoot. Um, you want to get involved in community engagement. Um, for whatever reason, you know, you want to change your career from uh, working in an Islamic school as a teacher and do something else. Great, come teach some kids English in another country. Whatever it might be. So there are opportunities, and I think you know uh, we're not closed doors. Uh, I think for the first couple of years, uh, we just didn't have the platform for it, so we couldn't help. But now, Alhamdulillah, you know we've got the resources, we've got the platform, and now we're saying the reverse: Mm -hmm. please come, Mm. and 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 your help means that we can do more for our community here and for the communities overseas as and, well. And everyone has something to give as well, some sort of talent as well, you know? Everyone has something to give. Exactly. And whether it's the sister who's at the masjid and, and you know, helping um, collect and, yeah. and whatever it might be, or uh, a sister who could go out and put up some posters and flyers in yeah. the local community of where she's based, um, or go where she takes her child to uh, a priest, Islamic preschool and says, look, I'm working with Sadaka and, you know, Ramadan's coming and can we put some posters and flies? Everyone's got something to give. Exactly. You know, everyone's exactly. got a network. Everyone's got surroundings. Um, we all need manpower. And at the end of the day, you might organise an event. You know, you ha- you need people to meet and greet, registration yeah. process, you know, maybe seat them at the table, a community iftar, whatever it might be. So there's mm-hmm. plenty of opportunities. Exactly. Well, hopefully this podcast does its bit in that regard. Inshallah. Inshallah. To spread that message. Inshallah. Yeah. So are there any words um, or any anything, any place they can find you as well, personally, before we end the episode? Find me or find the organisation? The organisation, inshallah. I love that. Look, um, they want to find you, you can check yourself <laughs> out there. <laughs> <laughs> it only helps organisation. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Look, um, we have uh, our website, uh, sadaka.org.au. Um, we have our Instagram page, Facebook page, TikTok, um, I don't know, LinkedIn, um, all the social platforms. Okay. Look, I don't promote social media. Um, unfortunately, it's become such a monopoly mm. that I can't voice what the work that I'm doing unless I'm putting it on social media. And it seems like it's the um, general meeting point for every everybody now and you have to put your content onto social media. Mm. So <coughs> when people have their spare time, inshallah, only yeah. spare time, you know, they're on there and they're looking. Yeah. Um, it's and the new currency, social media. Social media, you know, yeah, and, you know, in the old days we used to give great stories on Facebook, yeah, you know, yeah. six minute videos. Now um, we sit on couches. <laughs> yeah, and, and, now, and, now, and now we we can't get your attention for more than a minute on Facebook <laughs> and um, more than a minute on Instagram, uh, more than uh, 15 seconds or 30 seconds on, on Reels TikTok, oh yeah. and more than seven seconds on TikTok. So, you know, this seems to be the general consensus of uh, attention span. Yeah. Um, but my brothers and sisters, look, whether you support Sadaka Welfare Fund or any other charity, everyone out there is working. The reality is this. Our ummah is 1.7 or 1.8 billion. Majority of the ummah is under the poverty line and in a place of need. If you had 50,000 more Sadaka Welfare Funds, it would not be enough for this ummah. Okay? As much as we are competing in khair, on the ground here, we're actually working unitedly on the ground. Mm. Okay, so do not belittle any amount of donation. Every one dollar, one dollar, your Aussie currency converted into their currency makes a massive impact. So give from what you can. Allah has blessed you. Give from what you can. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Given a goodly loan." Allah is a razak. He is the one that gives the rizq. If we have this yakin that He is the one that giving the rizq. 
I have never met anyone who has gone poor in giving in charity. I will just give you one brief before thing. Many brothers have come and I said, please don't tell me anymore. I don't want to hear it. Don't tell us. This is your story. Brother, my life has changed. Once I started giving in charity, my wealth, my family circumstances have changed. I have personally had people come and tell me this. And this is not for you to donate, so you could donate. This is personal experiences. People have had their lives changed from giving in charity. And if today, if we look at um, the main motivational speakers on LinkedIn for entrepreneurs, you know, like Simon Sinek, um, Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. I've heard him say a clip about this. They yeah. all talk about the ultimate feeling of goodness and baraka. All right, not, not that they don't say it in that. Yeah, yeah. Of success in wealth comes from charity. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. So even they've caught on to this. So you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you got to ground your feet and give in charity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us this 1400 years ago. You know what I mean? So, yes. alhamdulillah, it's the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu giving in charity. And I'll give you this. Doing this work and this humble work, you know, for the volunteers or people who want to get involved, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the zakat collector in the Quran. What a blessed job it is. Allah talks about us in the Quran. So I am not being nobled enough, even by name, if I'm not mentioned, I am mentioned by the work that I do in the Quran. And the first zakat collector, who was it? I don't know, that's a good question. Good question. Huh? Bilal Habeshi, so close to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He was the first zakat collector. What a noble and honorable job it is to do. Sometimes I interview, people come to Sadaqah. Or I'll headhunt them from LinkedIn, you know, and they say, oh, I don't know, you know, leaving the corporate world. They look down at charity and they look at it as a step down. But let me tell you, we are a full-fledged digital marketing studio. And alhamdulillah, you're working in a Muslim environment. We pray together in Jamaat. We have iftar every day together. We go to Tarawih together. We have itikaf in the office. This is what I can offer. What more can you ask for? You know, if I can give you the Islamic environment and you can bring your skill and the videos and the graphic work and the community work you do in PAX Lives overseas, what more can I give you? Exactly. So this is a great opportunity. So inshallah, you know, I think um, all the charity we make or we donate, Sadaqah, Zakat, has a massive impact on the ground. Having, being a volunteer makes a massive impact. Being a part of a charity as, even working as a career is now a full-fledged career. It's not in like in the old days. Get the money, send the money, get the money, put it in a bag, take it to, you know, hand it out. Unfortunately, we live in a digital world, different compliances, things need to be professional. So we need professional people, inshallah, to be a part of the journey as well. So, inshallah, my last words is, um, may Allah SWT reward you, especially for you guys doing the podcast, engaging with the community, um, talking about, issues, um, things that can benefit our community. These are all very important aspects and I'm sure there are many people out there who would like to also run podcasts and be in these same situations. But inshallah, you know, our doors are open to everybody. Um, you know, we, we need good talent to be a part of the process. 
um, and inshallah for us you know we'll try and show as much as we can we'll continue being on the ground we'll continue making a difference as long as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills uh, so personally I want to thank you brothers um, all the work yeah. um, for you guys being on the front and also the brothers that are working in the background yeah, shout know, out doing Ahmed. all the edits and the social media and you know getting it out there and uh, inshallah if we can be a part of that as well but um, alhamdulillah we all are holding a piece of the puzzle yeah, and and everyone in this community is important. So inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts from everybody, uh, rewards everybody, gives us all Jannah to Fardaus Allah, uh, allows us to be in Jannah, which is the eternal life, to be in the gatherings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We didn't get an opportunity to be his sahaba or be in his halaka, but inshallah in the eternal life we will be with him. Inshallah. And who knows, Ferenka might be on one of the trips soon as well, so... Stay tuned, inshallah. Inshallah. Barakallah for coming on and making time for us in your busy schedules as well. Thank you for really having me. appreciate it. And may Allah reward you guys immensely, especially their brothers in the background as well. <laughs> so thank you very much. Thank you, brothers. Thank you. You guys know the drill. Make sure to like, share, subscribe. Um, and yeah, until next week. Peace.